You're listening to a sermon podcast from Agape Baptist Church, recorded live from our Sunday service. Good morning. Today's scripture reading is taken from Psalms 73, 1 to 3, 16 to 17, and verses 21 to 28. Truly, God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled, my steps had nearly slipped, for I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Verse 16. But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task, until I went into the sanctuary of God that I discerned their end. Verse 21. When my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in the heart, I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast toward you. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterward you will receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail. But God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. But for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God your, my refuge, that I may tell of all your works. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. It's good to be back again, and uh, this is the last of a series of four messages that we've been uh, talking about called Desire. And if you're here uh, visiting on our live stream for the very first time, uh, or even if you're here for the second or the third time, but you have not yet uh, scanned the code that is just below there, uh, I want to just uh, invite you to just scan and just uh, uh, let us know who you are. Uh, if you're here for the first time, either uh, uh, watching it alone uh, from your home or from, uh, uh, even if you're outside of Singapore or if you're part of a, of, of a group of people who are just uh, sitting around uh, their living room uh, this morning and you are here for the first time. We love to hear from you and therefore would you please sign in uh, in that code. And uh, 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 this is the final sermon as I said uh, on, the, uh, on the series Desire. And at the end of uh, this message, I will be inviting you uh, to go to your banking apps and uh, what uh, Pastor Tation mentioned just now, uh, to, uh, for your gift to the King, giving today. And uh, as uh, I've mentioned week after week, uh, this collection, 80% of it will go uh, to fund the work in East Timor with our, our school, Shalom School. And the other 20%, is going to go. Uh, is going to be reserved uh, for our, our church planting vision, and we call it the CPF Church Planting Fund. Now, this morning, we will be walking through Psalms seventy-three. Psalm seventy-three was written by a man named Asaph, who was a worship leader in a temple. He wrote twelve psalms altogether. So he, this is this guy is a is a songwriter. And he wrote this psalm because he had been struggling with a question that we all, at one point or other in our lives, we are plagued with. And the question is this, is God really good? 
Is he good all the time? And so verse 1 begins this way, where he says, Truly, God is good to Israel, to those who are, who are, play, who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. He opens the psalm by saying that while he believes that God is good to the nation, to Israel, for him, he is struggling. And that's the reason for writing this song. Maybe you have struggled with similar thoughts. And maybe even this morning you are struggling with such thoughts. You know, in our church, uh, we had a, a, a wonderful, uh, uh, inspired, anointed songwriter who had gone home to be with the Lord. And his name was Roger Ting. And he gave us some great songs that we still sing in Agape. And I remember asking him, once about how he writes his songs and he told me that he writes them he writes what he feels in his heart he said his songs were a feeling exposed that is brought into the light and processed before the lord and i believe that's what asaph is doing right here he's writing what we all have felt we all at some point have struggled with some things and Asaph is now giving words to our feelings. And that's what this psalm is about. And, and they say, that's what the psalms do. They give you permission to feel before the Lord. And here in Psalms 73, Asaph is struggling with the goodness of the Lord. And like the way that we often struggle from time to time. You know, this past year has been hard. 2020 has been a hard year uh, with COVID-19 and there's been lots of disruptions. And we have found ourselves continually having to surrender ourselves to the Lord amidst all the changes and the uncertainties. And this morning, again, we are called to surrender. Now this time, a portion of our finances to God. And we don't want to do that. And I don't want us to do that with a doubt in, in, in our minds whether God is really good, whether He can be trusted. We want to be able to give with a, with a, with a, with a heart that has been liberated before the Lord. We want to be able to give cheerfully. You know, in, 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 in late 2018, as I was making the, the, the transition into my current role, many of you knew, and you walked with us, and you prayed with us, oh, when my, my daughter suffered two seizures and, and, and struggled much over the, over the next couple of months just to recover. Those were, were dark, dark months for us as a family. Many nights, you know, I would go, I would lay in bed and I wonder if the, if the Lord's goodness had dried up for us as a family. I didn't sense 
the usual abundant overflow of God's goodness and grace that I often felt many, many times in my life. Maybe that's where you are today. Maybe for some of you, there's, there, 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 there's, there, this song that Asaph is singing is what you are singing in this season of your life. Asaph is singing that song for us. You know, the Psalms affirm those feelings that we feel and they tell us that it's okay to feel that way. Asaph says, my steps nearly slipped. Now what that means is that he, he, he thought he almost is losing his faith. He's stumbling. He, he almost gave up the basis for his life. You know, every one of us has a basis for our lives. We kind of build our lives on something. We kind of stand on some form of a hope, some sort of a hope, some sort of a truth. We all do that, whether we are Christian or not Christian. Now, what you are standing on and what you are hoping on, it could be your abilities, your skills, your experience, for a lot of people, it is their finances, it could be our intelligence, it could be your beauty, your charisma, your persona, it could be anything. And because we all base on our lives on something, once that thing is shaken, gets shaken, you kind of feel like your steps are slippery. What if your beauty fails you? What if your health gives way? What if your abilities are not relevant anymore? What if your finances are lost? You will find yourself stumbling. And you know what? Asaph was basing his life on God and on the goodness of the Lord. He is standing on who God is to him. And he got slippery. And you know why? Because he has started to doubt the goodness of God. Now, why is he doubting the goodness of God? Why do you and I, at some point in our lives, begin to doubt the goodness of God? And in this psalm, he gives us three reasons as to why he began to think that maybe God isn't that good. Asaph's three reasons for doubting God are, first of all, the failure of the Hebrew dream. Now, he lived in a Hebrew world. He had a Hebrew dream. It's just like we have a Singaporean dream or the Americans have the American dream. And, and secondly, the futility of the moral life. He had lived a good life, and he felt like it was of no good for him. And thirdly, the frustration of suffering. Now let's quickly look at this one after the other. First of all, the failure of the Hebrew dream. It comes out in verse 3, where he says, For I was envious of the arrogant where I, when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. He's jealous of the rich. He's jealous of the successful. 
Then in verse 4, he says this. He says, For they have no pangs unt until death, and their bodies are fat and sleek. He says, he looks at the rich and the successful, and they look fit. They look healthy. Their lives appear to be easy. They look so good. Things seem to be looking good for them. They are comfortable. So he's like, man, I mean, I'm basing my life on the one true God, on the God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob. Now, I go to church and, 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 and I serve on the worship team. And, but look at me. I mean, why am I not living the Hebrew dream like they are? And I, and I want that for myself. That looks better to me. I want what money can buy. You see, that's what Asaph is thinking. And maybe you have similar thoughts as well this morning. And those thoughts, people, would not inspire you to be generous towards God. The root issue, the root issue is like Asaph, you are struggling with the goodness of God towards you. And that would hinder you from being generous. Asaph is enticed by the Hebrew dream and is looking at the unrighteous rich around him and is causing his feet to slip and to, and to stumble. The second thing is this, the futility of the moral life. comes out in verse 13 when he says, And in vain have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. He's like, I'm a good dude. I mean, I'm trying to be a good person. I'm, I'm doing good things. I'm doing religious things. I'm cleaning up my life, but it's not working. I don't see God's blessing in proportion to all my efforts to be morally upright. I mean, I'm reading the Bible. I'm attending church. I'm serving in ministry but it still looks like those who have no regard for God, that they are the ones who are prospering and not me. Now people, why does a Christian life feel harder than what the world is experiencing? I mean, it doesn't seem fair and it seems frustrating, right? I mean, like why does a, does a good Christian leader die prematurely? Why does a, a, a young believer have to suffer with something like cancer? Why? I mean, and why does it seem like those, those famous Hollywood celebrities who despise God, that, that they have it so good? Now, why is it that the richest people in the world are also the most godless people anyway? It doesn't make sense. And people, these kind of thoughts are going to cause our feet to slip and, and stumble. And it will affect our, our generosity towards God and towards others. The third reason for, for Asaph's doubts are the frustration of suffering. Now this comes out in verse 14, where he says, For all the day long, I have been stricken and rebuked every morning. Now, we don't know exactly what 
affliction that Asaph was facing, and I think that's a good thing. It could be anything. It is left in that big category of suffering and affliction so that we all can connect with it in our own specific afflictions. It could be physical struggle. It could be a relational struggle. It could be spiritual struggle. It could be a mental sort of thing. But he's just saying, on top of everything else, I am suffering in regard to God. Because it seems like His goodness has dried up in my life. And I am suffering. And it is frustrating. That frustration turns into anger in verse 21 and 22, where he says, When my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in heart, I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast toward you. You know what he's saying? He's saying he's mad at God. He's saying, my soul is bitter towards you, O God. I'm mad at you. God, I really don't like what you have me in right now. Have you ever noticed that the people closest to you are the people that you get mad the most? The closest relationship are the most likely to be the one that makes you the most angry. Let's say some dude comes up on the street that I've, I, I, I don't know, and he comes and tells me, you know what, I've been watching you this whole week, and you are really obnoxious. I can't stand you. I'll be like, I don't care. But if my wife and my children say the same thing to me, that would hurt. Because the people closest to you are the one who can hurt you the most. And you get mad at the people that are closest to you. People, listen. Asaph felt close to God. And all those doubts in his head right now, in his heart, are leading him to anger towards God. And he's frustrated. Some of you are wrestling with Christianity right now. Maybe it is what you have seen unfold with about Zeravi Zacharias. Or maybe it's that you grew up you know, in a Christian family and, and, and you, were, you, you have been disappointed by the way that your parents had lived out their faith. And now you wonder if God is really good. And you're mad at Him. You're mad at God for some kind of, a, of an expectation that you have of Him and that He has not met those expectations. And I told you that in 2019, I wondered if God's goodness towards me and my family had suddenly dried out. I had similar experiences that I can specifically remember through different seasons of my life. Like in 1990, I just came into the ministry. I was before that a school teacher and I had stepped out of that and transited and, and taken on uh, a full-time role to be pastor of Agape Baptist Church. And right at that, just, just, just as I did that, six days later, our, our son was born three months premature. And I wondered again, because, you know, there was a season of uncertainty for us. For three or four months, he was struggling in the hospital with all kinds of possibilities, health uh, uh, possibilities. And I wondered again, through all those ordeals, through those difficult months, if God was really good 
towards me and why did he allow this to happen to us as a young family when I had just stepped into full-time ministry? Like I didn't sign up for something like that. Then in 2001, there was a big exodus of church members from this church when I was the pastor. And I was losing church members and at the same time I was losing my credibility as a minister. And I wondered if God was really for me or was He against me? And my soul had suffered anguish many times. But here's what I realized, people, over and over and over again. And here's what I want you to hear very, very carefully. All those times, God had never denied me Himself. He sometimes has denied me His stuff, and what I wanted, I never got. And sometimes He denied me the good life, the comfortable life, the easy life. But He had never, ever denied me Himself. And here's Asaph. He's mad at God. And then you come down to verse 17, and he's going to experience something that's going to change everything. And let me read from verse 16 and get into verse 17. This is the turning point. And he says, But when I thought how to understand this, it seems to me a wearisome task until... I went into the sanctuary of God and then I discerned their end. And everything changed right there in verse 17. People, verse 17 is the whole point of this song. And verse 17 is the whole point of life. What's verse 17? It is experiencing the presence of God. Asaph was to discover for himself that while God may deny him his staff, he will never deny him himself. Listen, people. While God may deny you his staff, he will never deny you himself. And this is true for all of us. The Lord has gone to great lengths to give us himself. You've got to realize that. There's the cross to prove that. There's the empty tomb to prove that. That God has gone through great lengths to give you Himself more than to give you His time. And therefore, to walk into the sanctuary of God is to experience God Himself. You may not find the stuff that you want in the temple, but you will always find God. You will always get His presence. And this is what Asaph realized. He now sees, finally, that God has been with him through this whole time. He sees that the presence of God is everything. He gets a new perspective. He begins to see things through God's eyes, and he begins to see things from God's heart. Now, what does he see? Asaph sees three things. That settles his doubts, that melts away all of his disappointments. And these are the three things that we need to see as well. 
Number one, he sees God's justice. That comes out in verse 18, where he says, Truly you set them in slippery places, you make them fall to ruin. He notices the injustices that are around him, and the presence of God brings him into this revelation that even as the world despises and rejects God, one day God will reject them. That there will be a judgment and that there will be justice. And God will judge rightly, even though it feels like He's delaying it right now. But now, Asaph and you and I can leave that injustice and unfairness into the hands of God and let Him deal with it and trust Him. The second thing, and I love this one, is that He sees God's grace. You know, God's grace always has a way of melting our hearts and healing our souls. And in verse 23, He says this. He says, Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. Listen, people. You remember that Asaph was mad with God? And although Asaph was mad with God and was terrible towards God, he used the word, I was brutish. The Lord never left him. And he was still holding on to him. The, net, the Lord, in, in all of Asaph's madness, God did not let go of him. You know what that is called? It's called grace. Asaph began to realize that God was holding him all the while. In his disappointment, in his anger, in his sense of injustice, the, in, 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 through all of his doubting, God was holding on to him. I remember my daughter telling us that in her dark spiritual depression in 2020, 2019, that she felt so weak physically that she wasn't, she wasn't up to many things, although she wanted to just get up and get back to where uh, she had left off and just run again. But she couldn't. And it frustrated her. But all throughout, she felt God was holding on to her. And that was the rope that she was clinging to to get out of that dark pit that she was in. God was holding on to her. You know, she didn't have the stuff that she wanted, but she had God Himself. And as Asaph was, is saying here, I'm undone. I've come unraveled. But God is holding on to me by a thread. He never, ever let me go. He never let go of me. People, you got to realize that the evidence that the goodness of the Lord has been upon you all the time, even though you never felt it in your darkness, and that God has never stopped loving you, even though you were mad at Him at times, is the fact that you're still here. You're still in one piece today, despite whatever that has happened to you. You have life, you have breath, you have relationships, you have everything that you need. I mean, you were slipping but, and you were stumbling. But you know what? The Lord kept you from falling. He has been holding on to you. That's His grace in your life. The Apostle Paul talks about wanting more of Jesus 
in Philippians chapter 3 verse, verse 12 and he, say, and he says this. He says, I press on to make it my own. Why? Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. He's saying, I want to grab hold of Jesus, more of Jesus, only because he already has grabbed hold of me. Despite my wretchedness, my sinfulness, in my rebellion, my, my bitterness, he never let go of me. And it's the same thing that Jude says in, in Jude chapter 24. And he says, to him who is able to keep you from stumbling. Oh yeah, you know, many times you feel like we're going to fall away. But you know, the Lord holds us up in his grace. And that's what Asaph sees in the century. That God has been holding on to him and he won't let him go. The last thing that he sees that melts his heart and, and clears his doubts is God's Word. These are famous couple of verses here that's been written into a song, and we love these verses in Psalms uh, 73, verse 25 and 26, where it says, And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. A word, desire, appears here. Asaph begins desiring. He, the way he began, he began desiring the, the, the Hebrew dream. He began desiring a life that is in proportion to his, to his moral life. He desired a life that is without suffering, a comfortable, easy life, a life like the way that it has been with other people around him. But now he says, there's nothing on earth that I desire but you. At the beginning of this psalm, Asaph desired after God's blessings. When he saw others far more blessed than he was, he was mad at God. But now he experienced a change of heart. At the sanctuary, he discovered that God was far more valuable than all of His blessings. You know why? Because you can lose the blessings, people, but you will never lose God because He will keep holding on to you. Asaph discovered the worth of God. He finally found that God is actually the ultimate treasure that you will never lose God. This God, you know, He may deny you stuff, but He will never deny, He may deny you some blessings that you really want, but He will never ever deny you Himself. And Asaph says, Lord, I, I finally see your worth. I see your value, O God, and I desire only you. I desire only you. And you know what? My flesh might fail, my stuff might rot, my life might suck, my promotion might not come. But you are enough and you are the portion of my heart and my strength forever. It's the same thing with King David. He says the same thing in other psalm. The, this idea is all over the Bible, people. In, in Psalms 27 verse 4, this is what David says, One thing I have asked of the Lord that, will, that will I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, 
to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord, to inquire of in his temple. Now, why does David want to be in the temple all the days of his life? If you read Psalms 27, his whole world is crumbling. And, and, and he's like, there's, there's only one thing that I want. Nothing is holding me up. No one is holding on to me but God. And I want God. Therefore, I want God more than anything else. Now, what did these guys see in the sanctuary? What did they see in the temple? I mean, what did they see there that changed everything for them? People, you know what they saw? They saw the gospel. They saw an altar. They saw a sacrifice. They saw the lengths that God would go to give them himself that he would forgive their sins, that he would cleanse them. They saw grace. They saw in faith that Jesus as their sacrifice. And when we come into the sanctuary of God's presence, we see an altar too. We see a cross and we see a, the sacrifice. And, and you and I are reminded again of God's justice of God's grace, of God's worth, they all wrapped in that redemptive story of the cross of Jesus Christ. And therefore, we realize that He's worth everything. And when you see the gospel like that, it changes you. Asaph's heart was changed. His doubts and his anger and his disappointments melted away in the lights of God's justice and God's grace, and God's word. And then he closes the psalm in the last verse, in verse 27, this way. He says, I have made the Lord God my refuge that I may tell of all of your works. And people, that is what a generous heart does. It is committed to keep the redemptive story of God's grace alive. That is what you and I are about to do this morning, practically, as we give to the King. We are wanting to keep God's story of grace alive because that story has changed us. Because that redemptive story has kept us alive to this day. That despite our ups and downs and our and our, and, 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 our, and our jubilation and our depression and our, 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 our days in the valley and our days in, our, in, in the mountains, that God has sustained our lives and He has blessed us with His grace despite our sinfulness. That He has kept us. And therefore, we are wanting to keep God's story alive because He's good to us. He has never let go of us and He will never let go of us. Even when we were mad at Him, even when we, all we cared about was His blessings rather than Him as most valuable, He has showed us His grace. He has showed us His worth and His justice. And this story of God's grace and love of all of His works must be told from generation to generation and from coast to coast. And our giving to the king 
makes it all possible. Makes it possible for the story to be told in the corridors of Shalom School in East Timor and someday in a new church plant somewhere else in the city. The King has given Himself to us. And now, in gratitude, we come and we give back to the King. That's our gratitude. That's our worship. That's the expression of our trust in the Lord and our desire to see this redemptive story continuing, kept alive in our lives. Would you bow your heads with me? Let's pray. Thank you for listening to this sermon podcast. You can find more of our sermons online on our website at www.agape.org.sg